Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. so much for just that kind introduction and just for the great hospitality that you guys express to me each time I come. I'm grateful to the Lord Jesus who has saved me from my sins, who saved you from your sins if you are in him. Uh, I'm just amazed by his grace um, that he would save me, that he would want to use me, that he would make me a part of his family, his church. And uh, it just, God is so good, isn't he? He's just so good to us. To Pastor Scott, who I love, um, Pastor Scott invited me to come several months ago, and I, I just want to say how grateful I am to him. He's one of my biggest fans. He's one of my biggest encouragers. And uh, I feel encouragement every time I'm around him. We have lunch from time to time, and, and it's like he's constantly pouring into my life. And he invited me to come several months ago, uh, expecting to be here himself. And then he, he communicated with me uh, last night because uh, he, he uh, with everything that's going on this week, he said, brother, by text message, um, I, I'm not going to be there. I'm so sorry. Like he even needed to apologize for not being here. That's the kind of guy Scott is. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there. And then he told me that his father-in-law, Brother David, passed away. And certainly I uh, and my family are praying for Scott, and our church will be praying for Scott and Shannon and their entire family, Pam, the girls, and for this body as well, just during this time of loss. But we have hope, and even though we grieve, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe, we don't grieve as people that have no hope. Our hope is Christ, and so we give him glory today. To you, thank you. Uh, I always enjoy coming to Southridge Fellowship. I don't preach much outside of my church. Uh, I get asked from time to time, though, and I, and I just uh, turn most things down. I, 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 I have like three things I do outside of my church. There's a little school in Raleigh called St. David's. Anytime they call me to come and speak, I will go. I love St. David's. Uh, there's a little camp up on uh, Lake Gaston uh, in Littleton, North Carolina called Camp Willow Run. Anytime Camp Willow Run calls me, Peter Rochelle will go. In fact, I'm going on Tuesday to speak to their staff before the summer. And then next, the following week, I will be the camp pastor for a week where all the kids are incarcerated. They are, they, they are incarcerated. And the state of North Carolina allows them to come to this camp. And they have brokenness and they make terrible mistakes. And I get to preach to them twice a day for a week and watch God through the preaching of his word, change lives over the course of the week. So I'll be doing that. Amen. And then anytime Scott, Scott, Scott Lear calls, and uh, he'll say, pray about it. I don't even really have to pray about it. What date is it, Scott? If I'm available, I'll be there. And so I'm, I'm glad to be here this morning. And uh, I know uh, Seth told me I have, have about 40 minutes and I'm a, I'm a little bit long-winded, so I better get going, right? You know, uh, 40 minutes to a long-winded preacher is like kryptonite to Superman. So, you know, I better get moving here. But join with me in the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Jude is uh, in the back of the Bible, right 
before the last book of the Bible, Revelation, Jude, then we have Revelation. And uh, Jude is only one chapter. And uh, we won't preach the entire chapter today, but I want to look at Jude 24 and 25, the last two verses. And I love these verses. Uh, These verses have been uh, just a a blessing to me over the years. These verses have been a blessing to our church over the years. Every service that we end at our church on Sundays, I close with these words. This benediction, this doxology, this crescendo of praise and glory to our great God. And I believe what Jude is doing here in these two verses, he's encouraging us He's challenging you and I as followers of Jesus to worship the God who is able to keep us. That we ought to worship the one, the great God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is able to keep us. Look at what it says. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And Jude says, Amen. I thought of a story this week about a father and his small son who decided to take a walk in their neighborhood after a severe snowstorm. They had been snowed in for several days and having cabin fever, they decided it's time to get out of the house. So after putting on their snow gear, their hats, their gloves, their coats, their boots, their scarves, they proceeded to take this walk in the snow. But as they walked, the little boy began to slip and fall on the snow and uh, and on the ice and so He asked his father, can I hold your hand? And his father extended his two fingers. This was kind of their thing whenever they would walk together. Sometimes his father would just give him his two fingers and and this little boy would hold on to his father's two fingers. And so like normal, he just extended his two fingers and that little boy held on. But after several minutes of walking like this, the boy was still slipping and falling, even though he was trying his best to to hold on tightly to his father's fingers. So his father said to him, I have a better idea, son. Let me hold your hand. And so the father, who had big hands, strong hands, uh, hands with a tight grip, grabbed his son's little hand, and he held. And then they began to walk in the snow, and not one time after this did the little boy lose his footing. Not one time after this did the little boy slip and fall. We live in a slippery world. We live in a world where if we're not careful, you and I might lose our footing. We live in a world, if we're not careful, you and I might slip and fall. And you know this truth as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I have three enemies. Our first enemy is Satan himself, the adversary. 
And Satan is trying to get you and I to stumble and fall. Nothing would give him greater joy than to see a Christian, one of God's people, a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing would give Satan greater joy than to see a believer fall. And he's doing all he can that we might slip and fall. Then there's the world as our second enemy. The world, the system of thinking that's, that, that, that is anti to the way God thinks and to what God says. And the world is our enemy. And we're not to love the world, John says in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Because if we love the world, John says, the love of the Father is not in us. And we're not to be conformed to the world. You see, the Christ is, God is trying to conform us to the image of Christ, and the world is trying to mold us into its image. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 that, that, that we shouldn't be conformed to this world, but we should be what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. The world is our enemy. The world would love for us to be conformed to its in, image so that our witness, our testimony, our life would be rendered ineffective for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's our flesh. You know about the flesh, don't you? That old nature that is constantly at war within our members, constantly at war with our new nature, the spirit man. And the flesh we battle daily and we have to walk in the spirit, Galatians 5 says, so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. All three would want us to fall. And in the book of Jude, some have fallen. Some have fallen away from truth. Some have fallen away from the Lord. And Jude paints a clear picture of their sin. In verses 4 through 7, Jude says, Some have fallen into apostasy and immorality. In Jude chapter, in, in, in Jude verses 8 through 10, he says some have fallen into false doctrine. They were living fleshly lives. They had corrupted themselves. He says some have fallen into greed and were seeking to serve themselves and to fulfill the, their own lustful desires. He says that some appear to be spiritually alive, but they were in fact spiritually dead. They, they looked good. They looked like they, 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 they knew God, but they really didn't. They looked spiritually alive, but the reality was they were spiritually dead, Jude says. And Jude says they were sensual persons. They were divisive persons. They were persons who did not have the spirit of God, verses 11 through 12. And verses 18 and 19. And then Jude reminds us that they are ungodly in their manner and in their motives. And that one day God will bring judgment to these that have fallen away in verses 13 through 16. But Jude encourages us. Jude encourages those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he encourages us to stand in a slippery world. To stand when it seems like so many around us are falling away. He encourages us to stand. He tells us to contend for the faith earlier in the verses. He tells us early in the verses that we are preserved in Jesus Christ. 
He tells us, even though you live in a culture, even though you live in a world, and it seems like so many are falling away, you in the midst of that stand. And you might say, well, how can I do that? How in the world can I do that? Well, Jude tells us real quickly, before we get to our verses, he tells us how we can do it in verse 20 and 21. He tells us in verse 20 that we are to build up ourselves in the faith. We're to pray in the Holy Spirit. So we have a responsibility that we are to build up ourselves. We're to pray in the Holy Spirit. Then he tells us in verse 21 that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. It's like that little boy, he held his dad's finger. He held on. That's us. As we walk with God, we are to hold on to our Heavenly Father's fingers. And we do it by continuing in the love of God. We do it by praying in the Holy Spirit. We do it by building up our faith. We hold on. That's our responsibility. But here's our reality. Our reality is this. Our grip sometimes is weak, isn't it? Our grip is not strong. And this is what Jude does. Jude lets us know, yes, you hold on to your Heavenly Father's fingers, But know this, your heavenly father holds on to you. He holds on to you. You don't do this all by yourself. Your heavenly father holds on to you. You see, there's human responsibility all throughout the Bible, but there's also God's divine sovereignty. And it's a little bit of a dichotomy how it works, but there's our part, but then there's God's part. Our part, keep yourself in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, you hold on to God's finger, but guess what? When when, when your grip is weak, when you mess up, when you fall short, you have a heavenly father who has a strong grip. And he holds on to you. That's what Jude says. And Jude says, we ought to worship that God. And that brings us to verses 24 and 25. So let's jump in real quick because Jude says two things about why we ought to worship the God who is able to keep us. Jude does this first. Jude lets us know about the power and the ability of God. Verse 24. Notice what he says as we consider worshiping the God who is able to keep us. First, Jude wants us to notice God's power and his ability. Look at verse 24. He says, now to him, talking about God, who is able. Stop right there. I mean, we could just preach that right there. The first thing Jude says, you all, is this. God is able. God is able. And we could just preach that right there and go home, and I think it would be enough. The fact that you and I ought to always remember that our God has power, our God is able. And all throughout the Scripture, we see God's power. All throughout the Scripture, we see that our God is able. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, that knew God was able To save them from the fiery furnace. I don't know if anybody's facing a fiery furnace this morning. But our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. It was the Apostle Paul that that understood that God was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I don't know if anybody's praying for something. 
and you've been seeking God for something, here's what Paul says. God is able to answer that prayer and not only answer that prayer, God is able to, to, to answer that prayer in such a way that he goes above and beyond what you could have even imagined when you prayed it because he's able. It was the Apostle Paul that also understood that God was able to establish us according to the gospel. You want to get firm? You want to get strong? You want to get established in your faith? It's through the gospel. And Paul says God is able to do that for us through the gospel. And then the Hebrew writer in 725 Hebrews says that God is able to save to the uttermost. Those that come to Christ through him. I don't know, maybe you're praying for someone to know Jesus Christ. God is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost. Maybe you're here today and you think, man, I don't know that God could really forgive me or save me from what I've been involved in or the sin that I've been committing or, or what, what's going on in my life. Let me tell you something. God is able to save to the uttermost those that come to him through Jesus Christ. God is able. Well, what is he able to do according to Jude. In our text this morning, what is God able to do? Well, here's the first thing Jude says as we consider the power and ability of our God. God is able to, first of all, preserve you on earth. Notice what he says. He's able to keep you from stumbling. Or falling, some translations may say there. He's able to preserve you, in other words, on earth. As you walk for Christ, as you walk with Christ, as you live for Christ, God is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from stumbling. This word keep is a military word. It, it literally means this in the Greek, that God is on post. Isn't that a great thought, that God is on post, that God is watching, that God is protecting, God has his eye on us, God is at guard? He keeps us, Jude says, he keeps us from stumbling. The other interesting thing about this word in the Greek is it's written in present tense. So right now, God is able and is keeping us. Right now, in this moment, our Heavenly Father, as we grip his two fingers, he holds us with his hand. Right now, in this moment. This week, as you live for Christ, on your jobs, in your communities, in your homes, wherever you might be hanging out, whether it be Starbucks or the YMCA or Planet Fitness or wherever you might be, God is right there with you and you're holding on to his two fingers. But guess what? His strong hand, his strong grip is holding you in that moment. And that's an incredible thought to me. That as I live day by day, moment by moment, our God keeps us, Jude said. And he keeps us from falling. Again, the context of Jude is people are falling away. And we know people like this, perhaps people that have even come through the doors of, uh, of Southbridge Fellowship. I think about a, a, a guy who was in our church. Uh, he, he was on fire for the Lord, you all. He was just, I mean, just a ball of fire. He appeared to have a teaching gift. He knew scripture. And then all of a sudden, it's like something happened. And so I meet up with him, and, and he tells me that he's a black Hebrew Israelite. 
Well, I didn't even know what a black Hebrew Israelite was. So I get on the internet. Google's great, you know? And I'm like, what in the world? It's a cult, basically, you guys. A bunch of black people that think they're Jews and who are trying to, to be justified by living out the Old Testament. Let me tell you something. You go read the Old Testament. You go, to try, you go try to do all that stuff the Old Testament uh, says you're to do. You, you'll never do it. You'll fall short. You've already fallen short. It's no way. That's why Christ came, you all. We know that. And, I'm, and, and so we try to reach out. We're, we're trying to, we're having Bible. Let's look at scripture together. And, and he, he wouldn't have any. He fell away. He's no longer in our church, unfortunately. And our hearts break. And we know people that, that have fallen away, whether it be in the false doctrine or sin or something like that. But, but here's the great news. Our God, he, he, he keeps us. He keeps us. My daughter Kristen helps me understand this. When she was real little, they'll be here at the second service, but when she was real little, we used to go to this playground. And um, we used to, um, I, 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 because I was in seminary uh, while they were little, uh, I would be reading and studying. They would be over there playing on the, the things. And, uh, and I would just be chilling, reading and catching up, you know, working on sermons, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and th there was a balance beam that sat maybe this high. It wasn't that high off the ground at all. My oldest daughter, she could get on that thing, walk down it, and at the end she would celebrate. Woo, I did it, I did it, I did it. Her little sister, who's three years younger, would barely be able to crawl up there, and she would get up there, and she would be like this, and she would fall off. Now, it was sand under there, so she couldn't hurt herself, but she would fall off, you know. And so I'm sitting over there reading, and my little baby is struggling to get on this balance beam. And, and finally, uh, she says, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to read this book and finish this. You know, guys, you ever been there before, you know? And then your wife kind of gives you that elbow like, get up, you know? <laughs> so I get up, and, uh, and, so, and so literally, I, I, I would give her my thumbs. I said, okay, baby, you can do it. Okay, you got my thumbs. And, and she would have my thumbs, and I would be walking on the side, and, and she would be gripping my thumbs tight, you all. And, and then she would still be struggling, struggling, and about, and about to fall off. And, and then I would grab her by the waist, you know, like, I got you, baby. I got you. You're doing this thing, girl. Go ahead, girl. And, and then she would keep walking. She would grab my thumbs. And then we would make it to the end. And she made it to the end because dad kept her. She, yeah, she had my thumbs. But, but even though she had my thumbs, her grip and her balance wasn't good enough to do it by herself. It was dad who was right there with her. And then when she got ready to fall, dad caught her and, and carried her the rest of the way. That's the picture here, you all. Our God has power. Our God has ability. And he has this ability to preserve us on earth as we live for him, as we walk with him and for him. He is there keeping us. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. But notice, not only does he have the, is he able to preserve us on earth, he's able to, best part, y'all, present us in eternity. Watch this, you all. If you don't get excited about this, you need to go on to the local mortuary, you know. This is good stuff right here, y'all. Watch this. Look at what he says. Notice he says in verse 21 that God has this ability to present us in eternity. He says this, and to present you 
faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude says one day we will stand in the presence of his glory. I wonder how often do you think about eternity? I wonder how often do you think about one day you will stand in the presence of his glory in eternity? Personally, I think we should think about it more. I think we should think about eternity like all the time. Certainly more than we do because here's the reality. One day, like Elder Dave, we're going to die. Or Jesus will come back before we die. One of, the two things, one of those two things will happen for all of us. Either we'll die or Jesus will come back. And either way, we'll stand in, in the presence of his glory. And if we're honest, that thought, standing in the presence of his glory, should be a bit sobering. It should be maybe even a bit intimidating because uh, think about the presence of his glory. That's kind of weighty. That's kind of uh, something we don't just think about casually, right? The presence of his glory. Let me remind you this morning, the presence of his glory here uh, uh, is, is referring to the presence of the Holy One. The presence of his glory is the Holy One, God himself, his son, Jesus Christ, the one who dwells in unapproachable life. Let me remind you, uh, it was the presence of his glory that, that calls Adam to hide after he had sinned, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. It was the presence of his glory that calls Isaiah to say, woe is me, Isaiah 6, 5. It was the presence of his glory that called call the, the apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos, Revelation 1.17, to fall down prostrate like he was dead. It was the presence of his glory. That's not casual, y'all. That's weighty. And so when I think about the presence of his glory, I, 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 it, it causes me to pause a little bit. But then there's encouragement in the verse. Notice what the verse says here. Notice how Jude encourages us. He tells us that we will stand in the presence of his glory. That, that, that has sort of points to this evaluation, this judgment that we will, will stand before him and give an account for our life, even as believers, for how we serve the Lord and so on. But he gives us great encouragement. He says, when we stand in the presence of his glory, we'll stand, first of all, watch this, verse 24, with Without fault. Without fault. Some translations here say we'll stand blameless. Some translations here say we will stand without blemish. How can this be? How can, I mean, how in the world is God going to present me? Someone who's fully aware of his sin, someone who's fully aware of his weaknesses, so, someone who is fully aware of his shortcomings and his mistakes and the times that he's blown it and messed up and messed up over and over. How in the world is God going to present me in the presence of his glory without fault? How is he going to present you in the presence of his glory without fault? Well, we know the answer, don't we? It's Christ. It's Christ. The answer is in what Christ has done for us on the 
cross. You know the gospel. Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. It was a perfect life. It was a sinless life. It was a life that was spotless. It was, it was a life that was faultless. It was a, 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 a life that was without blemish. It was a blameless life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he knew no sin. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4.15 says, he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet he was without sin. No one has ever lived a perfect life except the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the life that you and I couldn't live. And then Jesus died the death that we should have died, bearing our sins on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53 says. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He died on the cross, the death that we should have died, bearing our sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And when we repent of our sins and we believe fully in God's son and what he did for us on the cross, here's what happens. He cleanses us of our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And we stand before him, and when we stand before him, rather, in the presence of his glory, he will present us without fault. Here's why. Because not of us, but because of what Jesus has done for us in and through the cross. And that's why we sang this morning that last song. Thank you so much for that last song. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We'll stand before the presence of his glory without fault because we'll be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how God is going to pull it off. Because of what Christ has done for us. Let me give you some application here. If, you, if you're one and you're, you're just, you just totally fear, oh, one day I'm going to have to stand before God, and that just, that's, just like, that's just like a horror movie to you, let, let, take Jude's good news here. You won't stand in your righteousness. That's a good thing, by the way. My righteousness won't get me very far. Yours won't either. But we stand in his righteousness. And on that day, when he looks at us and when we're presented to him, he'll see Christ's righteousness that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we can look forward to that day. We can look forward to that day with great joy and, and great, great uh, anticipation. And hey, if you're not a believer today, let me tell you, you can. You can. You, you can turn from your sin, repentance, and you can believe in God's son. And, you, and when you do that, God, God will give you the righteousness of Christ. Oh, you can do that. Look at this. We, we, see, we see he has this, this, this power to preserve us on earth, but then to present us in eternity. And he'll present us without fault. But then secondly, let me move quickly. He'll present us with exceeding joy. He'll present us with exceeding joy. It's not just joy, it's exceeding joy. It's joy and then some. I mean, it's, 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 it's above and beyond joy. 
I mean, it'll be, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 8, as Peter talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ and us standing before God, Peter says it's, it's unspeakable joy, it's inexpressible joy, and it's full of glory. We'll have joy and then some. Have you ever, think back on your life, days of your greatest joy. What was going on? What happened? Here's, I thought about this this week. Three days, well, actually four, but one is kind of two, two in the same. Three, three of the, the greatest days in my life in terms of joy. When I first came to know Jesus Christ as a 12-year-old, I felt God's forgiveness and this weight of guilt and shame that was released from me, and, 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 and Jesus touched me, and all oh, the joy that flooded my soul that day. I can't think of a day that I've had greater joy than that day. Second day when I married my wife, Kim, July 22nd, 2005. So I got an anniversary coming up that I better not forget. Greatest day of my life. God's blessed me with this wonderful wife who, who is adorable and who's, 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 who's faithful, who's virtuous, who loves Jesus, who, who, who has just made me better. And when I married her, we got these two wedding pictures on our, on our uh, this uh, thing that holds our TV, whatever that's called, y'all know what I'm talking about. And I got this big smile on my face, y'all, and I look at that picture, and every day I look at it, I just smile because that was like the second, next to knowing Jesus, that was the second greatest day in my life in terms of joy. Then the other two days, which are really one, when my kids were born. Jamie was born uh, uh, September 20th, 98. Kristen was born March 9th, 2001. When those kids were born and I saw the miracle of birth and they were healthy and they were beautiful, they looked, I mean, they were just so beautiful and precious. They looked just like their dad, you know, and I held them. And it's like, oh, joy, joy just, it was just great. Three of the greatest days in my life in terms of joy. But guess what? Even those days won't be able to compare to the day we stand in the presence of his glory and we're presented faultless. Because Jew says it'll be exceeding joy. It'll be great joy. It can't even compare to the joy that, that, that we will face. I love Pastor C.J. Mahaney. He says it like this. There's no experience in this lifetime that can be compared to what is described in that moment of being presented faultless before the presence of his glory. It's going to be great joy. And I don't, I don't know what it's all going to look like. I mean, I kind of I think, think about it and, and wonder, could it be like this or could it be like that? But I think the song that, that best, that seems most fitting to me is the song, I Can Only Imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know this. It's going to be a day of great joy. Great joy. I believe we might go, woo! At the same time, I think we might do this. At the same time, I think we might just do this and go, wow. We might even say it backwards. Wow. But it's going to be a day of great joy. And we ought to be pumped up about it. That our God has this power and this ability to present us, to, to preserve us on earth, and then to present us in eternity. And then finally, Jude calls us to our second and final point. We'll close. He says, 
that. He wants us to observe, rather, the praise and adoration of our God. So we consider the, the power and ability. And when you consider that, I mean, the natural response is the praise of God that does all that, right? How could you not praise a God that, that, that preserves you while you live for him on this earth? How could you not praise a God that one day will present you in eternity without spot, blemish, fault, shame, guilt, sin? He'll present you perfect uh, 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 before the Father. And it'll be with great joy. How could you not worship that kind of God? It seems like the only thing fitting would be to worship that kind of God, right? And Jude pretty much says, yeah, that's right. We ought to do that. And so he gives us, he causes us to look at the praise and adoration of our God in light of all that he just did for us in verse 24. So he says this in verse 25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Jude calls us to worship God in two ways, I believe, here, uh, as I've outlined the, the text. First, I think Jude uh, 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 implies that God deserves our exclusive praise. In the language here, all the praise goes to God. Yes, we hold on to his fingers we keep ourselves in the love of God. We pray in the Holy Spirit, verses 21 uh, through uh, 20, uh, 20 through 21. We, we contend for the faith uh, uh, back in uh, verse 3, I think. We, we, we do something, but, but, but we don't deserve the praise because it's really God that's done it. He's the one who's kept us. And so to God be the glory. Let me go back to my illustration with Kristen just for a minute. So I get up, I'm reading, and Kim elbows me, get up there and help her. So I get up, I give her my thumbs, and, and, and she's doing it. I'm encouraging her, I'm cheering her on, and, uh, and, and she's about to fall, and I catch her, I grab her by the waist, and, and, and she holds my thumb, and we keep going. I'm like, you're doing it, baby, this is great, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I'm cheering her on, and we get to the end, and this is what Kristen does. I kid you not. She goes, "Woo! I did it, I did it, Daddy, I did it. And I'm sitting here going, no, you didn't do it. I did it. You would have fell a long time ago. Girl, you didn't do nothing. I did it. What you need to be saying is this. Woo, daddy, you did it, you did it, you did it. Thank you, daddy, you did it. Let me tell you something. On that day, we might get, get before the presence of his glory. And, and if we scream out, woo, 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 just make sure after we go, woo, 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 we go, God, you did it. You did it. You did it. It was your son, Jesus Christ, you did it. To God be the glory. He deserves our exclusive praise. It's all about him, not about us. He keeps us from falling. He presents us faultless before the presence of his glory. He deserves our exclusive praise, but then finally, he, he deserves our eternal praise. It says both now, in the last part of the verse, and forever. Why does he deserve our eternal praise? And why does he observe, uh, deserve our exclusive praise? Because of his salvation to God, our Savior. He saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. He deserves 
exclusive praise. He deserves eternal praise, both now and forever. We have to praise him this way because of his splendor. Notice what it says here. It says, he is a God of glory and majesty in verse 25. That speaks of his greatness, his magnificence. Our God is king, and there's no one great like him. And we give him our exclusive and our eternal praise because of his salvation and his splendor. Then we give him our exclusive and eternal praise because of his sovereignty. Notice what it says. He has dominion. Verse 25, that word there in the original language just suggests that he is in complete control over everything. That our God is the sovereign, ruling, reigning king. He is sovereign. We praise him exclusively and eternally because of his salvation, his splendor, and his sovereignty. And then finally, we praise him exclusively and eternally because of his strength. He says, dominion and power. He has all power. And then Jude says, amen. So today, you're a follower of Christ. Worship this God. Not only worship, rest in him. You know, there was a time in my Christian life I thought, okay, I get Jesus saved me, but now that he saved me, I got to be perfect. I can't ever mess up. I don't know if you've ever been there before. It's like, okay, I get Jesus saved me. He died on the cross for my sin. But now, okay, I don't get no more chance to mess up. I just got to. And look, I'm not, I'm not talking about a license for sin here. Don't, don't hear me to say that. But I am saying, hey, rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Christ died for our sins in the past. Christ died for our sins in the present. Today we'll commit sin. Christ died for those sins. And we can rest in it. And then guess what? We'll sin tomorrow. We're going to try not to. We're holding our God, our, our Father's fingers, right? We're doing our part. But our grip sometimes is weak, you know? And Jesus, his death on the cross covers all that. And so we can rest in that. Again, that's not a license of sin, but that, that should give us freedom to live and to rest in him. That we are secure in him because of what he did. And worship this God. Rest in this God. And if you don't know him, trust this God. Trust this God. And so as I close in prayer, and I probably have gone over my 40 minutes, I apologize. But let me pray for us. And, and listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, hey, you can talk to Pastor Seth. There are elders that are here you can talk to. Maybe you came with someone you know is a Christian. They would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. But here's what, what I want to do. Let me close this in prayer. And when I was 12 years old, the day Jesus saved me, the greatest day on earth in terms of joy for me was that day as a 12-year-old boy, boy. I remembered that I understood I was a sinner. I understood that Jesus was the Savior and that he died on the cross for my sins. And I just remember, best I knew how, my pastor taught me about repentance. Turn from your sin, change directions, do an about face, and then believe in Jesus. And so if that's you today, do that. Hey, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. He died for you. Repent of your sin. Turn from sin, whatever it might be. Turn from it and turn to Christ. And put your full trust and confidence in him and what he did for you on the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We worship you because you are the God who's able to keep us. We worship you exclusively. And Lord, we worship you now and we will worship you in all eternity. And, Father, we thank you that we stand in your righteousness alone. And that's the only way we can be faultless before your throne. 
And so we worship you today. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, would you give them the courage to repent today, to turn from that sin, and then to believe in Jesus, your one and only Son, who died for them. And Lord, also give them the courage to talk to somebody. Maybe it's Pastor Seth. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's an elder or just a, a, another leader or member here. Would you give them the grace and the courage to talk to somebody about what it means to know Christ? And so we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.